0: The process of Applied Functional Science is the transformation of the notion into the motion.
1: From the Gray Institute, this is the Gray Institute podcast. Gray Institute is internationally acclaimed for its innovation, development, mastery, and delivery of Applied Functional Science, AFS. AFS is based on scientific truth, not theory, of how the human body moves in all three planes. AFS allows movement professionals like you to apply the best, most effective, and most efficient movements to any individual based on specific needs and goals. For 40 years through training, education, and mentorship, The Great Institute has equipped over 150,000 professionals with comprehensive knowledge in the principles of Applied Functional Science (AFS). Whether you're physical therapists, personal trainers, athletic trainers, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches, coaches, physicians, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, osteopaths, physical therapy assistants, or kinesiologists, Our goal is to help you become the go-to movement professional.
2: Welcome to another Gray Institute webinar where I am excited to facilitate this session. And before we get into the talent, I want to talk about the topics that we're going to cover as we're going to essentially cover Gray Institute's foot ankle specialization. The first big rock that we want to cover is the introduction to the foot ankle specialization and how this is a missing piece to any movement professional's toolbox. The second thing that we want to cover is the functional biomechanics of the subtalar joint and its effects on the rest of the body. And then the third topic that we want to cover is practical applications for ankle sprains, Achilles tendonitis, and plantar fasciitis. But before we get into all that good stuff, I have three amazing studs on stage waiting to be introduced. So on behalf of Gray Institute, I wanna welcome you, the viewer, as well as these three awesome individuals in Dr. Gary Gray, Bahan Agbabian, and Ernie Montine.
0: Dougie, thanks a lot. We really uh, appreciate the introduction. I'm not sure the stud works uh, here, but uh, well, at least two of them are. Um, it's an honor for me to be here in this webinar with uh, two of my heroes and uh, just the fact that you're with us you're our hero knowing that you care that much about your patients and clients means a great deal to us it's our goal to maybe give you some pearls a little bit of insight uh, to help somebody that uh, has a foot and ankle that influences their body and their body influences their foot before we go into that I would really appreciate if you guys wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourselves and your journey in applied
3: functional science and with the Gray Institute. Vahan, would you mind uh, sharing a little bit, please? My name is Vahan Agbabian. I'm an athletic trainer. I work in a uh, hospital-based outpatient sports medicine clinic and down in the athletic department at the university I work at with a rehabilitative athletic trainer title for the football program. Probably my first course was in 1991 at a chain reaction and did six or seven of those. And I am a Gift fellow from 2014 and also did two rounds of the secondary part of GIFT, which is the Play Coachmate program in 2017 and 2020. Uh, I'm one of the presenters for the foot and ankle specialty and very pleased to be here today. Thanks, Mahan. Appreciate that, buddy.
4: My name is Ernie Munteen. I'm a physical therapist and athletic trainer. Uh, I'm in an outpatient hospital-based clinic up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and a multi-year gift fellow. So that's been an exciting journey and that kind of led to this opportunity. So uh, I'm excited to be here with you and excited to be here with uh, two gentlemen that uh, are very near and dear to me and I, I learned a ton for, from, and uh, I'm sure you as well, so, so stay tuned.
0: Uh, Bahama, could you do me a big favor just for our uh, audience? Um, they're peeking in. A lot of them are seasoned veterans that know a lot about the foot and ankle. Uh, and some of them are a lot like I was. I know there's a foot and ankle there and I know they talked about it in school, but uh, I'm not really sure. What kind of insight could you give them relative to your journey? Kind of understanding that it's a pretty significant part of the body and,
3: uh, therefore I really want to understand it well. I think, you know, taking chain reaction, going on into GIFT, doing PCM, and now having a chance to shoot and hopefully get prepared to do some live courses for foot and ankle. To get an appreciation of the complexity of the foot and ankle, and yet we take a simple side of complex to open up opportunities that you have so much clinical power by understanding the foot and ankle, how it relates and affects the rest of the body and how the rest of the body affects the foot and ankle. And it's just been a complete game changer for me and allows me to be very successful with things that maybe I struggled with initially. Yeah, beautifully put, appreciate that. How about you, Ern?
4: Yeah, going through my curriculums, I felt like I learned a lot about the foot and ankle. Uh, For me, I guess similar to what your comments were, Vahan, it just came in kind of bits and pieces. And once I got in the clinic and started practicing, you know, I had a a good knowledge and understanding of kind of what the foot ankle was as far as its structure. But for me, there was a gap in trying to figure out how to apply that in a patient context and and with different diagnoses. And uh, so what uh, gift and the resources that I was uh, privileged to partake in, what that helped me do was synthesize and bring the pieces and start to connect those dots. And uh, that only enhanced my ability to help my patients, my athletes, and um, we're hopeful it's gonna do the same for you today.
0: Uh, You guys probably know my story. You've heard it way too much, but back in the 70s, um, I quickly realized that a lot of my patients and athletes walked in with feet. And I would ask myself, what's going on there? Does that have anything to do with their knee pain? Does it have anything to do with their hip or back pain or even shoulder pain? And and, uh, I'm kind of thinking, well, it looks connected, but I just couldn't put it together. And so I was on a journey back in the 70s, a long, long time ago. Uh, to figure out exactly what you said, Bahan. How does the foot influence the rest of the body? But as important, how does the rest of the body influence the foot? Uh, And I was blessed in uh, 1983 to meet Dr. David Tiberio uh, and also was working with a gentleman by the name of Mike Whitmer. And we together put together a course that strangely was called when the foot hits the ground everything changes uh, at that time we didn't realize that that was that significant in other words it was kind of a cutesy title but we didn't realize the significance of when the foot does hit the ground so much changes i learned the f- about the foot uh, on a table and i learned the muscle testing on a table i learned range of motion on a table i learned function on the table but i just realized no one came in and said hey uh sprained my ankle while I was watching TV on the couch the other day. Or, you know, when I just lay there, my heel's killing me. Or, you know what, this my knee's bothering me just when I just sit there. Everybody came in and said, when my foot's moving, I have a problem with the rest of my body. So we quickly, in 1983, decided it's going to be a significant link that we want to study, and we're still studying it. Uh, I think, again, you said it best. It's complex. It's a weird when you think about the foot and ankle and what it can do and all those joints and bones and things, you go, holy moly. But uh, I think what you guys are going to be able to do for all of us today is give them some little pearls that will really selfishly incentivize them to want to take the uh, specialty. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So Dougie, uh, could you kind of kind of blend into a little more about uh, what, what's going to happen in uh, the specialty itself?
2: I'd love to. I think uh, it's just great hearing the introductions and just kind of hearing everybody's path to where we've gotten to today to be able to deliver this foot ankle specialization. And it's really the fact that we were educated very well on the structure of the foot and really how the foot kind of functions primarily on the table, where it becomes the missing piece to a lot of movement professionals toolbox is how the foot relates to the rest of the body in upright function. That understanding not only the structure of the foot and the biomechanics of the foot, but ultimately how the foot affects the rest of the body and how the rest of the body affects the foot really is the gold in this specialization that can enhance any movement professional, no matter the focus, if it's a prevention model, if it's a performance model, if it's a rehab model, the foot ankle specialization is something that's going to add a very needed layer to us as professionals. And to give you just a little bit of a glimpse of the brilliance that Gary, Vahan, and Ernie put together in this foot ankle specialization, I just kinda wanna give you a quick outline of what's covered in the 17 hours of video-rich content. You not only get the 17 hours of content that you have access to, but also supplemental PDFs to enhance your learning. But the journey that these gentlemen take us on really begins in module one with applied functional science, which of course is the common thread and the foundation to anything and everything that Gray Institute delivers. They go into module two and talk a lot about the anatomy of not only the foot and ankle, but the rest of the body. In module three we cover a lot of the nomenclature and understanding the difference between motions and positions and how this relates of course to the foot ankle complex. In module four a lot is covered on chain reaction biomechanics because that's really the name of the game is not just how the foot functions but how the foot affects the rest of the body and vice versa. Module 5, they cover assessment. Module 6, tweakology and a lot of techniques on if we understand all this information on applied functional science from a principle and strategy standpoint, what do the techniques look like? In Module 7, they talk a lot about functional manual reaction and how to use our hands to enhance what the foot's doing, but ultimately to get our hands off the body and allow the foot to do what it needs to do in conjunction with the rest of the body. In module eight, they talk a lot about functional progressions. Module nine, using different type of environments. And then finally in module 10, putting it all together. And where all this really fits in into this webinar here today, is the second piece that we're gonna dive deep into is the functional biomechanics of the subtalar joint and effects on the rest of the body really wants us to understand of course the anatomy of the foot especially the the subtalar joint where that talus sits on the calcaneus but also from a nomenclature motion position standpoint and a chain reaction effect that's really really want to give you a glimpse but also practical pearls on the subtalar joint. And then we get into the third topic of course on looking at ankle sprains and Achilles tendonitis and plantar fasciitis that's really a glimpse or a look under the hood of functional progressions using different environments and really putting it all together because that's the name of the game is how can we use this information to better our craft as professionals to ultimately allow that end user that patient the client the athlete the individual to benefit from uh, so without further ado, you kind of know where everything fits in. I'm going to toss it back over to the stage and let Gary, Vahan, and Ernie talk a lot about the all-important subtailor joint and its effects on the rest of the body.
0: Thanks, Doug. Uh, that was a great overview. Uh, as you kind of went through, through it, you kind of realize there's a lot to it. Um, I think I wish we could have squished it down to three hours, but, uh, I think we had to squish it just to get to 17 hours to really understand that, you know, I admire a lot about you two guys, but uh, one of the big things I admire is not only you very busy clinically, but you both work with students, um, and you just empower students and you're able to say, Hey, you may or may not have learned this in school, but you know, while you're here with us, we want you to appreciate things of the, of the body, the whole body, but one of the things we kind of have a, a foot petty, so to speak, and we kind of like you to really appreciate the foot. If you're talking to a student, let's pretend that a uh, somebody that just got their coaching certification as a strength coach or somebody just is in physical therapy school and it's their last kind of affiliation or doesn't matter. Somebody that just really says, hey, I'm, I'm blessed to be here with you guys. And you say to that student, OK, there's a lot to it, but I want to give you just kind of one kind of thought that I want you to keep your mind on relative to the foot and ankle. What would that be? That's a tough one, but I'm going to you just kind of what would that be? I'm, I'm your student or they're your student. What would you right now? I know nothing about it and I know nothing about what you're going to talk about. So what would you want me to least think about or concentrate? I'm going to start with you on that. Aaron.
4: Well, if I look at that from an anatomical perspective, I think it's it's important to have a good firm understanding of the subtalar joint Mm -hmm. because if you had to describe that to somebody um, that's never seen it or even if somebody's seen it and try to describe what that articulation looks like um, if you pull those bones apart they're gonna look very irregular and if structure indeed dictates function you know it's gonna have a unique function and as we'll get into here shortly uh, it certainly does
3: what would you say I would say, I think one of the biggest concepts to understand is that foot is a mobile adapter to the terrain, the environment you're in, and it is a reactor which means everything is not conscious, it's not acting all the time, it's reacting, and it's using the multitude of our proprioceptors to turn on muscles that do some things that are very different than we're taught in cadaver uh, type of anatomy, non-weight-bearing muscle function. And when you get an appreciation of that to be able to evaluate and treat and rehabilitate the foot and ankle or to use the foot and ankle to help you hit something else up the body, you are way more effective. Yeah,
0: those are two wonderful, uh, uh, I think, things to concentrate on. I remember the first time I really started delving into the subtalar joint. It kind of scared me because uh, I knew I could draw the hip joint, but I challenged myself to see if I could draw the subtalar joint. I couldn't. Because of all the irregularities, all the convexity, concavities. And and then somebody told me that the talus doesn't even have a a muscular attachment. I'm scratching my head and what's that. And then then you understand that ankle, that that talus sits in between the tibia and the fibula. And the tibia really is the distal knee. And all of a sudden when you realize, wait a minute, so the foot really is the knee. And the knee goes, yeah, the distal part of me is the foot, but the proximal part of me is the hip. And you're going, so so wait a minute, so foot, you mean you're really the hip? And the foot goes, yeah, we're really the hip. And to understand those anatomical, and then you go in front of that uh, subtalar joint because you got the talus and that joint, the calcaneus and that subtalar joint. But now you got that midtarsal joint, which really midtarsal joints, and that thing's freaky. But then that goes right to what you just said, realizing that the foot goes from a mobile adapter to a rigid propeller in nanoseconds. And the question is, how does that happen? And I think, big pearl you just gave there, it reacts. In other words, it doesn't think about it. It doesn't say contract peroneus, contract. It says something happens to me that turns me on. I decelerate all that, and then somehow, with all my friends upstairs successfully coming together, I can then react to turning this rigid propeller, which I think is the magic of the foot, uh, and then I can propel you somewhere. And if that's working well, then probably won't have much problem. If that ain't working well, probably going to have some problems. And that's why. We have so many problems because we got gravity, ground reaction, force, mass, momentum, body weight, all kinds of changing directions, all kinds of things that try to challenge that subconscious reaction, as you said. So I think that's pretty cool. You know what? What I would like you to do, if you don't mind, Irwin, we're going to clear the stage and kind of flip the film here a little bit. But I'd like you to empower us on just your thoughts on the subtalar joint. You can kind of anatomically do it you can talk about the function of it you can you know just remind us what it kind of does but i think if we can gift uh these really amazing people who are taking time out of their busy schedule to learn about the foot and ankle if they can at least leave i believe with a better appreciation of the subtalar joint i.e the talus and the calcaneus and whatever that thing is i think that's going to be a big gift so we're going to clear the stage for you and we're going to turn you loose on them is that okay
4: happy to do so beautiful Let's take some time to dive in to what uh, we know as a subtalar joint. So let's uh, start from the beginning. Of course, a joint is just a space in between two bones. Uh, those two bones happen to be proximally the talus and distally the calcaneus. And uh, I know it's gonna be hard to see up close here. Most of you will have some familiarity with what those bones look like. And the one thing you'll notice is they're very unique. So unlike um, many, if not all the other bones in the body, We've got two very unique bones that happen to come together. Therefore, there should be some unique uh, functioning or articulation or how they move between them, and it certainly is. So I know historically, having gone through two curriculums, when we got to the foot and ankle, it always seemed to be the final thing in the semester. So uh, in both, we started more up top, shoulder, neck, and worked our way down. and unfortunately by the time we get to the end of the semester and talk about the foot ankle it tends to be a little rushed and so we get kind of the crash course in the foot ankle so not to ignore anything we've learned previously but to now just discuss take a look at and see if we can't deepen our understanding and our appreciation for specifically the subtalar joint and then once we understand that then trying to figure out what's happening more proximally up in the talocrule joint knee and more distally in the rest of the foot mid tarsal joint and beyond it's going to help you synthesize and clear these concepts up a little easier so let's begin with the subtalar joint so if you notice I'm going to pull these apart so this is actually a right here and if I pull this apart if you can see that you look underneath where these bones come together um, that's a really odd shaped articulation and really there's uh, three contact points or facets that have varying um, uh, uh, orientations of convexity and concavity. So when this joint moves, it's not going to be a pure glide or pure slide spin. It's going to do some things that are truly remarkable. And uh, if uh, once we get to the end here, you're going to realize that as a subtalar joint moves, that's going to be essentially turning the key it's going to turn on the engine that is the rest of the body so let's take a look so if we are going to use i'm going to use a an action let's use walking okay as an example i want to put this in some context so this being a right subtalar joint model here i'm going to reference my right foot here so as i'm coming forward and stepping onto the ground the first thing you're going to notice is the ground is going to have an influence on how this moves so You know, as much as we're gonna talk about the anatomy and uh, the biology, we can't ignore the physical environment or simply physics. And when we are getting into the physical sciences, we're gonna reference more specifically gravity, ground reaction force, and even mass and momentum as we're moving through space. So, of course, as we're going to allow the foot to go forward here and make contact, what's gonna happen is the first thing that's gonna contact the ground is a calcaneus, of course and that's gonna create a movement there. So as this hits, we're gonna get a little rotation or we know that as a little bit of eversion. Now, given the unique articulation of this structure, we know that it can't slide purely in the frontal plane. So if we look to get eversion, what's gonna happen is the calcaneus is gonna tilt and then the talus on top has this little shelf here, the sustentaculum talli. That's gonna, you know, with weight bearing help push this further into eversion, but it can't go purely in that plane. So what's unique about this joint is, as gravity and, and more specifically, ground reaction force is pushing up from the floor our body through gravity is being crunched down. So this joint kind of gets sandwiched in the middle. So it has to move somewhere. And what it wants to do when the foot hits the ground is to allow maximum mobility to allow uh, a level of efficient shock absorption. And so what will happen is as we get the eversion, this talus kind of like a rider riding on a horse is gonna tilt, and it's gonna come over, and it's gonna rotate around this pivot point here, the sustentaculum tali, and that's gonna be dictated by those alternating facets, concavity and convexity, so that's where the unique motion comes from. Primarily, it's a tri-plane joint. It's gonna move in all three planes. I'm gonna reference more, to Just think of, back to your school days, the coupling. So as we get eversion, and we're coming at you here, and we get this, uh, roll here in the frontal plane, the talus is actually gonna dive down and in further and faster than a calcaneus to give us relative internal rotation of the talus. And of course, the talus is not gonna be able to move independently because it's sitting in between two longer bones of the lower leg, the fibula and the tibia. So almost like a pair of headphones or earmuffs as this talus now is free to start moving down and in, that's gonna take my lower leg and start to drive that down and in. And so what essentially happens is we first started talking about the subtalar joint everting to begin the gait cycle. But no, with the eversion, we're also gonna get that rotation. So movement in one plane from our physical forces is gonna produce motion in a second plane um, and ultimately a third But we just know this moving from frontal plane to inducing transverse plane, that's just a torque conversion. And so we'll reference the subtalar joint as a torque converter, or simply initiating movement in one plane and facilitating a second plane. And now in the case of walking, what's important to understand is when my foot hits the ground in front, it's gravity and ground reaction force creating that motion, so we're gonna get again, Eversion and then this internal rotation of the lower leg. So as a foot mashes into the ground You're gonna look at that and say well that kind of looks like pronation. So if you want to use that term, that's fine so uh, What we're trying to do is allow these joints to unlock to provide uh, efficient ground reaction force attenuation. So and once we get there then that's going to go and influence the knee joint above. So you notice as I get into this position, you'll see my knee is going to move. And if you look at my thigh here, actually you can kind of see how my whole leg is going to rotate as we're everting the rear foot here, the subtalar joint. And then more proximally, that's going to help unlock the mid-tarsal joints and that's going to allow those joints to move. And then What we're illustrating here is simply the ability of the body to produce a chain reaction. So everything's linked, everything works together. So um, that's the important contribution of that joint in being the first thing that hits the ground when we're walking if you're a heel striker. That's why I reference the key that turns on the engine because if that can move efficiently, that sets up the rest of the body and limb in particular. To be efficient and that's going to be important for performance and then ultimately dissecting uh, if you're a therapist like me dysfunction and improving their functional level to return them back to their activities so uh, as we get into now we move from this kind of front leg here where it's largely the movement's largely driven from the bottom up once the foot is on the ground now of course if i'm walking towards you there in the audience now my left foot's going to come forward now that's a little different because ground reaction force isn't going to have a huge influence there. So then what's going to happen is the body's going to move on a, on the fixed foot, and then we're going to create motion more top down in that second part of gait. And then what's going to happen is as we go through that motion, as my body's kind of coming forward here, my left foot's going to rotate my pelvis over to the right side and that's gonna in turn rotate my femur, which is gonna in turn rotate my lower leg, and that's gonna pull this talus back up on the calcaneus. So now we have to, from a um, motion of more internal rotation, that's gonna reverse and now start to externally rotate, which is then in turn with a torque conversion and the coupling going to invert the subtalar joint. And that's important because once we get into more of an inverted, and um, uh, externally rotated motion of the lower leg, that's gonna stabilize the ankle, the foot, in couple with the knee and the hip to provide stability to produce effective propulsion moving forward. So if you're not kinda certain about this or I'm not uh, selling you on this, I'll, I'll ask you simply, if you're out there, stand up. And then what you can do is do this little little test. Um, that's gonna get my feet here. And if I just start to kind of evert and invert my uh feet here, what you're gonna see is that frontal plane motion is gonna produce rotational motion up the chain. Now we can also reverse that. And if I just use my hands here and I rotate left and right. If you look down at my feet you're going to see that's going to produce a chain reaction and as i take my hands over to the left here you're going to see my right foot go more into that everted pronation type motion and the opposite on the left side is going to invert and uh, with the external rotation of the lower leg that's going to stabilize and um, produce a different reaction depending on which way my hands are swinging so just wanted to take a, a minute or two just to explain the uh, really the, the magic of the sub joint and its uniqueness. And again, you know, coming out of school, I had a lot of kind of dots, I'll call them, and a lot of things, a lot of concepts. But what further enhanced my understanding of human function was the appreciation of now how to connect these dots. So hopefully that was uh, something that helped connect the dots for you. So, uh, like I said, get up and and try this little exercise. You'll kind of sense and feel, and uh, I'm sure you'll uh, also have a deeper appreciation for what this joint can do. So, uh, I thank you, and uh, at this point, I'll I'll go ahead and throw it back to Doug. Dougie.
1: Download the Great Institute app for exclusive access to resources, training tools, and community. At Gray Institute, we pioneered the field of applied functional science. Now we're excited to offer exclusive updates on movement science, best practices, and other resources to our Gray Institute community of professionals. Our app offers practical tools that can improve both your practice and your client or patient performance. Our app offers powerful tools, including access to the HomeFit app, exclusive community forum, webinars and extensive resources and it's free to download download the Gray Institute app today available from Google Play and the Apple Store
2: Well, awesome job Ernie I think that was a very well articulated uh, dissertation if you will of probably the, one of the most incredible joints in the body um, but it's also one of the most incredible joints that we don't learn enough about and once we kind of understand how that joint is made up and what it really needs to do we start to understand how it helps or potentially hinders the rest of the body. Uh, So kind of from like a high level look at the subtalar joint, when we take that step forward, we want our foot to be that mobile adapter. And the motions that take place at the subtalar joint to make that happen is of course subtalar eversion and coupled with abduction. And then ultimately, if we're gonna want to propel, we need that subtalar joint to allow the foot to be this rigid propeller. We need the foot as strong as possible, as rigid as possible. And that's when we need that talus to go up and out on the calcaneus so that we have that inversion relative adduction at the subtalar joint. And if those motions aren't taking place, we can already sense and feel that it's gonna wreak havoc throughout the rest of the body. So if the foot can't collapse, the the body's gonna try to collapse somehow. Uh, That's a lot of times where we get some abnormal knee pain or maybe some back pain or even work its way up the chain. Or if the foot can't go ahead and externally, or if the leg can't externally externally rotate to get that subtalar joint to invert and adduct, it's gonna try to find stability elsewhere throughout the body. And if those motions aren't available, we can already sense what that's gonna mean. Now the great thing about this foot ankle specialization is that when we talk about applied functional science up front in the specialization Gary, Vahan and Ernie do an unbelievable job talking a lot about how the principles that we know from the physical, biological and behavioral sciences really create strategies to come up with the proper techniques based on how the foot and ankle really moves in conjunction with the rest of the body Here's where the plot thickens and it gets more exciting because we want to say, based on our understanding, not of just the subtalar joint, but of the ankle, the midtarsal joint, of the entire foot and ankle complex, what does this mean for X, Y, and Z? And in this case, we're going to talk about X being ankle sprains. Y being Achilles tendinitis and Z being plantar fasciitis, that if we can understand how the foot moves and we can understand the principles that guide our process, strategically, what are we gonna do about it? What are the techniques look like when we have these ailments or injuries or dysfunctions that we talk about with ankle sprains, Achilles tendinitis, and plantar fasciitis? So I'm really excited about how this really all comes together in this practical applications here with this next part that we'll toss back over to the three guys on stage.
0: Ernie, that was flat out awesome. Uh, I was uh, listening to that and I thought, man, I needed that back in like when I first started back in the mid 70s. But then I realized you'd be only be five Uh, so that, uh, you know, you might have known it when you were five. I don't know. But uh, we, we just weren't taught that. And that's, as Doug said, that's so significant to know how that subtalar joint talks to the rest of the body and that frontal plane turns into transverse plane and how the transverse plane turns into frontal plane. And even as important, what that subtalar joint does to the mid-tarsal joint, which we'll talk about briefly in a little bit, but great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, what I'd like to do, if y'all don't mind, is I'd like to turn you guys loose on some common things that we see and just give them some strategies. Uh, this is a course kind of a con for them to take this specialization. Uh, but it has to be because we can't spend, you know, we can't say, well, we'll keep this webinar less than an hour, but uh, we'll teach you everything we need about, about ankle sprains and about Achilles tendonitis and plantar fasciitis and how the foot causes patellar tendonitis and patellofemoral problems and how the foot is many times the cause of an ACL tear and how the foot causes hip problems and labral tears and how the foot causes low back stuff. So, So what I'd like you to do is, uh, if you don't mind, uh, behind, I'd like you to just take ankle sprains and share with them, um, you know, kind of how you approach them now, what your n- initial goal is. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in the forum uh, within the uh, app of our Gray Institute app, you can continue to kind of develop that because they're watching this on the app anyway. So they can zip over and go, oh, this is pretty cool. Uh, and then. Just when you get done with that, we're going to turn it over to Ern, and he's going to kind of share. He goes really beautifully detailed in the specialization. But just, again, your strategies on Achilles tendonitis, what causes it, and therefore what should we do about it. And if you don't mind, I'll jump in and try to do some type of a job on plantar fasciitis. That's a tough one, but we'll do that. And then, if you don't mind, we'll come back together, a jibber-jabber, turn it back to Doug, and go from there. That'd be all right? All right, so let's break up again, and uh, we'll turn you
3: loose with ankle sprains, okay? Okay, excellent. wonderful. Wanted to take just a a few minutes to kind of give you a few little pearls on how we learn at the Gray Institute and through the app and through GIFT and now specifically through the foot and ankle specialty, some of our AFS pearls and how we approach ankle sprains right now. When we think about how we were taught in school, a lot of it was based upon rest, ice, compression, elevation, the Rice Theory. Sometimes it was followed or even preceded by bracing or casting or sending the patient client or athlete home things started on the table working individual foot and ankle motions and then adding load when those were completed and we had improvement in those areas one of the problem is is when we're looking at our progressions of getting this athlete or client or patient To get back to doing what they're doing, we have to get their foot on the ground and take care of some of the other things that occur with an ankle sprain, like our mid-tarsal joint locking up, we lose hip extension, our gait gets off, and then we have problems as we go down the line. So let's share a few pearls on how we look at ankle sprains. Obviously in a grade one or grade two lateral ankle sprain, we're not dealing with a lot of huge stability issues. It's okay, when tolerated, to go ahead and put their foot on the ground. We have a nice framework of evaluation and treatment with the 3D maps, and we can use three of those chains to restore motions that are immediately lost and will debilitate if we don't get after them in, with our using three chains. We have our anterior chain, which is nice that we can either lunge with the opposite leg to evaluate the sprained ankle, in this case a right one, or we can lunge with that right leg to go after ankle dorsiflexion and eversion. If we take the right leg and we lunge it, we can go to our opposite side lateral chain because that also produces dorsiflexion and eversion. And we can also lunge with the opposite leg with our same-side rotational lunge, which also produces dorsiflexion and eversion, which we're gonna need for weight-bearing and to learn for us to get loaded better so that when we move on and improve and start working on stability or balance, we can then get them to load to explode so we can propulse better. Obviously, once we get them back on their feet, we've cleaned up their gait, we then can start looking at the different authentic environments that we need to get them back doing what they're doing for ADLs, for work, for school. Another pearl we'd use, obviously, is we can use a strategy of retro, getting them to move backwards before they go forwards. It's usually much, much less painful than going forward, so we can retro lunge, retro step, and retro walk. There are other gait patterns we learn in the foot and ankle specialty and in GIFT that help us to restore the gait better. We have all kinds of open space floor, so balance and stability techniques. And one other third thing we get is Gary does a nice job in the foot and ankle specialty of going ahead and introducing us to different equipment that simple tools like the BAPS board, a step platform, a bungee cord, you know, or a free weight that we can enhance and get the foot and ankle in conjunction, not only rehab successfully at the foot and ankle, but so that it integrates with the rest of the body. The foot and ankle specialty gives you lots of different techniques, and provides the strategies before we give you the technique so you understand what we're doing based upon the chain reaction biomechanics and gait, use of the proprioceptors, and weight-bearing muscle function. So hopefully that gives you a little taste of what you could learn in the foot and ankle specialty. We'll send it back to Doug right now, and we'll get on to the
2: next diagnosis. Well, wonderful job, Bahan, and as someone who has sprained his ankle many a times. Uh, Hearing the functional approach to ankle sprains is of course music to my ears, that you talk about rice, but then you really kind of morphed it into mice, In that motion is key. You can still do the ice compression and elevation while everything is healing up, but you did a wonderful job talking about the motions that an ankle sprain craves even after the ankle sprain, as long as it's still stable. That we really want to drive that eversion and the great thing about driving the eversion is the exploded motion of inversion takes place but the subtalar joint may never get into an inverted position which is key in the rehab stage or that the ankle is going through dorsiflexion which means the exploded motion a plantar flexion occurs, but the ankle never gets into that plantar flexed position. So we can begin to understand really the need and to understand the difference between motions and positions. But understanding what motions that the ankle and the subtalar joint needs after an ankle sprain is important because you're still protecting the ankle but the key to those movements to those motions is that we're still turning on the rest of the body so that it can continue to contribute to not only the ankles rehab but the rest of the body's function but we can't really get to that point without understanding the principles and the strategies that allow these techniques to really become the goal that they are. So speaking of these PSTs, another PST that we want to walk through is setting up Ernie now for Achilles tendonitis to walk us through traditionally how it's looked at, but more importantly, functionally, how we want to look at Achilles tendonitis to not only prevent it or to enhance the performance of the Achilles, but also to rehab it. So we're going to let Ernie come on the stage and let him do what Bahan just did so well with ankle sprains, now with Achilles tendonitis.
4: Thank you, Vahan and and Doug for a great uh, explanation and uh, illustration, some pearls for ankle sprains. And now I get the privilege to present uh, some thoughts and some pearls on Achilles tendinopathy. So uh, before we begin, let's back up and just kind of understand the pathology. Of course, we all know the the Achilles is that broad tendon attachment on the back of the calf into the calcaneus and why does that happen and occur just simply overloading so that should give us a clue to think about at least acutely is how do we facilitate some actions of the achilles without contributing to the overload which may actually worsen our symptoms so knowing uh, the functionality of the the achilles or i'll just say the calf in general I'll go back and use an action like walking. So I'm going to use my left foot this time. I got this model. And it's not hard to see that when the foot hits the ground, what are the three component motions? So one in each plane that are going to load the Achilles. And that should give us a clue where we want to begin acutely and then further down the line in the rehab process where we want to go. So of course, in the sagittal plane, it's easy to see that we're going to get more tension, more stress with dorsiflexion. In the frontal plane we're going to see more stress with the eversion because as we'll talk about in the course there's an angulation to the achilles that has a frontal plane component that in eversion will get a little more of a load than an inversion and then in of course what we learned with the torque conversion with eversion comes relative abduction or externally rotate external rotation of the foot And in all three planes, that's what's going to maximize the tension on the Achilles. So that might help us think from a a beginning strategy, where should we begin? Now, in walking, in contrast to what's generally taught in our educational curriculums for an Achilles, generally it's a lot of stretching, and that can be appropriate as long as we're not doing too much. And then we could also leverage different positions to take a little bit of stress off uh, with the stretching but more importantly the one big thing I learned to help strengthen that tendon that muscular tendinous unit was a lot of going up on our toes and strengthening the calf Now, of course in, a, in an action like walking we're not really doing this because then our walking would look kind of something like this so it's really not the calf functioning concentrically that's going to be most authentic to Uh, What we do walking and then bleeding into what our authentic strategies are But we need to allow gravity ground reaction force to let this tendon load eccentrically first So that should have a clue instead of going up here. We should probably let the lower leg and the body come down So I'm gonna simply give you an illustration using a squat to uh, start to load in an acute situation the Achilles and then give you some insight where we can go from there. So if I use a squat, knowing there's more tension with uh, sagittal dorsiflexion, we might wanna say, hey, I can leverage the tweak, as we call it, or movement variable of position for the squat, because a squat's not a squat, not a squat. I can move my feet in space. And what I'm gonna choose to do, if it's my left foot here and I'm trying to unload my Achilles, I may just put my left foot forward So let me just turn to the side for a moment, and you can see as I put my left foot forward, I'm gonna get a little bit of plantar flexion. So that's gonna allow me a little more uh, slack, if you will, that if I wanna start to do a, a little baby squat and load it, I'm gonna put a lot less tension and pressure than if I had it behind me. So I can put this forward and then knowing that we get more of a load into eversion and external rotation or abduction of the foot, I can do the opposite there as well to unload. So then I can kind of go wide and toe in a little bit. And that gives me a position to start with that I can still feed in some activity or still facilitate that tissue, but yet at the same time protecting it from an excessive load to allow it to heal. Then, if I simply just want to do a little bit of a squat just to start initiating a load, that is going to be oftentimes a safe position and environment to start loading that calf. Now, where we begin is not necessarily where we want to end. So, by the time we get success with this strategy and over time, then we can start to unwind and take the foot more from a, a wide standpoint and start to narrow it, which is going to give us a little more eversion start to bring the toe a little more out, then ultimately start to bring it back. And so we can do a combination of those three positions, use two of them, use one at a time. But uh, the one thing you'll appreciate seeing in the course is there's not a specific protocol to guide you through this. So what we're gonna do is present a process that gives you options or variables so you always know where you're beginning, and then over time you're always gonna know where you're gonna go. And then over time, as you get more success, then we can change the action from a squat to perhaps a lunge, to a jump, or to a hop, depending on what's the authentic demand of your patient or athlete. So hopefully that'll just give you a little little insight um, of a starting position and progression for an Achilles tendonitis. Now uh, we'll throw it back over to Doug.
2: Awesome job again, Ernie. I think... Um the, the pearls that are being surfacing is just uh, encouraging to us because what you just said is that it's really about a process and not necessarily a protocol. And as movement professionals, that should almost excite us because we know that everybody is different. Therefore, everybody should be treated and trained a little bit differently based on how well he or she moves and the progression in which we're going. But within the specialization, you guys do an unbelievable job of giving us steps in which to take along that process where we can position the body differently, we can drive the body differently, we can have the body do different ING things like squatting or lunging or stepping or walking or jumping or hopping or even jopping that allows us to naturally progress the body for what it needs to accomplish. So the Achilles tendinitis, of course, is one of those things that gives us a lot of pearls in which we can abide by. And moving along, we're gonna set up Gary to do something very similar, that Bahan did so great with ankle sprains and that you, Ernie, did so great with Achilles tendinitis, that we're gonna have Gary come up on stage and talk about kind of one of those lingering injuries and those nagging pains at the bottom of the foot called plantar fasciitis. So Gary, we're gonna tee you up on stage to do your thing with plantar fasciitis. Thanks, Doug, and
0: uh, great job, uh, Vahan and Ernie. Um, again, we're just giving you some kind of strategies and uh, based on some principles to kind of get you started on these. Uh, and this is definitely kind of hopefully get you a start because I'm talking about the old dreaded heel pain that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have. And well, there's a good reason why so many people have this. And that's what we call plantar fasciitis. The person gets out of bed in the morning, first puts their foot on the ground, oh, dead giveaway. We're dealing with the plantar fasciitis. With Gray Institute and Applied Functional Science, our whole goal is to understand why you have the plantar fasciitis. Not just try to make it feel better by taping it, by strapping it, by putting a pad under it, by putting an orthotic under it, by doing changing things. We want to know what in the world caused it. Well, as you will learn in the specialization, the cause can be at the foot and ankle. Very typically, it's at that same side hip. Real, typically, it's on the opposite side, hip and foot, and almost always there's a component of the thoracic spine involved in the cause for plantar fasciitis. Did did you just say thoracic spine? Yeah, the thoracic spine, and when you see how we understand how we walk and run and how the thoracic spine creates a reaction to do what I'm going to talk about relative to a plantar fasciitis, you'll say, well, of course I should check everybody's thoracic spine. Here's the deal. Plantar fasciitis is caused by the foot propelling off an unstable midtarsal joint. Uh, what does that mean? Well, as Ernie did a great job talking about the subtalar eversion when the foot hits the ground, what that does is unlocks the midtarsal joint. That's that wiggly, wiggly or shock absorption that Bahan was talking about. Uh, that's great, but then we said something. Magic happens in order to lock that up. But what what that means is something happens to cause the calcaneus to go from this motion of eversion and begin the motion of inversion. Because here's what happens. When the the foot goes through inversion, as as, uh, Ernie said, the talus climbs on top of that calcaneus. And what happens, it creates a different articulation at the midtarsal joint, which locks it up simply means even gravity ground reaction force can't blast through it because this becomes a very very stable part of the foot if the heel is inverting so first of all what causes the heel to evert? everything gravity ground reaction force mass momentum cutting twisting uh, everything we're doing is driving that foot to e- eversion what causes the heel to invert Everything the thoracic spine moving the pelvis moving the legs moving and as Ernie indicated that external rotation of the femur External rotation of the tibia that now inverts the heel to lock up the mid tarsal joint So therefore what can let us down that would cause a plantar fasciitis? Everything that's why it's so important to take somebody through 3d maps to look at everything to say I not only want your heel to feel better. I want to figure out the cause of it now Even though we will search and look for the cause, one of the things we do very early on is we clear the path for that locked up position. What we mean by that is we clear the path for inversion of the heel, and we clear the path for ankle dorsiflexion, and we clear the path for hip extension, hip abduction, and hip internal rotation. Because if you look at my left foot, this is the position I'm in right prior to heel lift, and if this foot is still everting, and it hasn't started inverting, and creating a locked up midtarsal joint, If that mid-tarsal joint is is not locked up, when we come off, this is what happens. This is what happens. And you can see if you were the plantar fascia, you'd go rip, rip, rip. You'd constantly pull away from that heel and you'd develop a spur, a plantar fascia spur. We don't want that. We want to clear the path. So one of the things we do very, very early on is we simply clear the path with a mobility strategy and then sneak it into a little bit of a stability strategy. Let me show you what I mean go on the wall and we'll do a ankle dorsiflexion or a calf stretch. Watch my left side. And if I just lean into the wall like a typical calf stretch, gravity, ground, reaction force are just going to evert that heel. And what's what it going to do? Unlock the mid-tarsal joint. It's actually going to add to the plantar fasciitis. That's kind of what I was taught back in the 70s. Uh, our heart was in the right spot. Try to get more dorsiflexion, but they forgot to tell us about the other two planes of motion. So what we don't wanna do is create this dorsiflexion with eversion. We wanna create dorsiflexion with inversion so I have a locked up midtarsal joint. You do that in the sagittal plane by driving the right knee a little bit to the left. We do it in the frontal plane by while we're dorsiflexing, driving the right foot to the left. And we do it in the transverse plane by driving the left knee to the left. And as you can see, if you could sense what's going down on my foot, Every time I'm getting dorsiflexion, that driving leg is creating a, a reaction of the subtalar joint that's forcing it to go through inversion, which is locking up the mid joint, now clearing the path for when I get here, the body's going to say, oh, this is much better. I can feel my body want to go through that inversion while I'm getting the motion at the hip, while I'm getting the motion at the thoracic spine to facilitate the desired chain reaction. In the specialization, Vahan and Ernie do a beautiful job of saying, okay, then what's next? Well, what's next is kind of a toe touch, so you get there and get back home, get there and get back home, and then a more of a balanced reach, but then, as Ernie said, hey, where we start is not where we're going to end. We then take you to what really creates the unlocking of the mid joint, calcaneal eversion. Uh, and all of a sudden we go, okay, we're gonna go that cockney version and bring you back and start strengthening the foot and the hip and the thoracic spine, not only bottom up, but top down. Plantar fasciitis is one of those things I love to see come through the door now because very typically they've had traditional treatment that might have helped a little bit, but it always came back because why? They started walking and running again. The cause was still there. And so with applied functional science, our whole goal is to understand the human body and the foot and ankle and the body and the body and the foot and ankle so well we can say, I know why you have those symptoms. I'm gonna treat the cause of those symptoms. And so we're gonna take care of not only the pain, but we're gonna take care of the cause of the dysfunction. And in this case, you can really, really, really um, improve somebody's life if you get rid of that heel pain. So I'd like to turn it back over to Dougie.
2: Well, wonderful job, Gary. I think uh, that does an unbelievable job talking a lot about not just plantar fasciitis, but more importantly, the strategy behind the entire specialization of foot ankle that when we talk about foot ankle and we talk about a very um, obvious ailment such as plantar fasciitis, there's a big difference between what is causing the pain to where the pain is. And even though the pain there might be on the heel, the cause is elsewhere. And you just gave us a really good practical application of what we can do to attack multiple potential causes. It could be the ankle's inability to go through dorsiflexion or the foot's inability to lock up or the subtalar joint's ability to go through inversion or going after that same side hips ability to go through extension and the other complementary motions, but even how you position your hands on the wall to use your foot as a driver. If we just looked at what your thoracic spine was doing, we're mobilizing the thoracic spine and teaching it how to allow the body to, in unison, rotate and allow that foot to lock up. So that's really kind of the goal behind the specialization. It's not just understanding how the foot and ankle functions, but more importantly, how it functions with the rest of the body. And the more we can understand the chain reaction biomechanics, the more we can come up with better assessments, better training processes, better rehabilitation steps in order to not only treat where the site is, but more importantly, identify the cause and really allow the body to function better. So as we kind of come to this conclusion of this foot ankle webinar, I want to invite all three guys back on the stage uh, because I just personally want to thank them for not only what they have done throughout the movement industry, but how they've utilized their experiences and expertise to really be pooled and poured into this foot ankle specialization. There is so much gold in the 17 hours of online content that I thoroughly encourage each and every movement professional to consider taking this specialization because you're not only going to gain a lot of content, but more importantly, you're going to gain a lot of applications because that's really the name of the game. So on behalf of Gray Institute, I personally want to thank Gary, Mahan, and Ernie. For the blood, sweat, and tears that they poured into the specialization, but more importantly, what they poured into the profession over their entire um, track record, if you will, of not only treating and training athletes, but more importantly, pouring back into the movement industry from an educational standpoint. So thank you, gentlemen. Gentlemen, great job.
0: One of the fun things about a webinar is that uh, we can touch on a lot of stuff, but one of the frustrating things is we just barely touch the tip of the iceberg. So uh, I just want to thank you for the great job you did.
3: Thank you, Gary. It was great to be here. I want to thank all the audience for taking, the, taking their professional time to view this webinar. Hopefully, we will see you at a foot and ankle seminar, whether you take it live or we see you down the line at a live seminar or whether you take it online. So thanks again. Great to be here and see you guys. Thanks, Bahad. Uh, uh,
4: and, and thank you again for uh, taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, uh, wanting to learn, grow, push yourselves. So that's just a, you know, represents how awesome you are, that you, you desire to get better, desire to learn. And uh, the fun thing for me personally is being able to share this stage with uh, two of my biggest influences. The frustrating thing, like Gary said, there's so much more. So um, for our purposes today, you know, hopefully we gave you enough to wet the palate. Uh, I would encourage you if you wanna go deeper and learn more about applied functional science and its relation to the foot and ankle, and then um, Doug's gonna help you figure out where to go check that out. So again, just thank you. Of course, a big
0: thank you to Dougie and uh, you, too. So really appreciate you boys uh, just being a part of my life. So so thanks for that. Um, And just thank you. Uh, You took time out of uh, your your time, uh, out of your precious time. Um, And we just really want you to know how much we appreciate that, that you would join us and uh, just kind of get a taste of what's going on with the foot and ankle. And hopefully just kind of felt a little bit of the purpose and passion of Gray Institute and Applied Functional Science. It's really easy to see when you turn these two guys loose on you. So thank you very much. And uh, we just uh, look forward to being able to uh, continue to enhance your life uh, as you do an amazing job enhancing the lives of others.
1: Thanks for joining us here on the Gray Institute podcast. At Gray Institute, our goal is to do one thing the best we can, and that is to help you become the go-to movement professional. If you have a question for future podcasts or questions about anything Gray Institute offers, including education, live or online specializations or mentorship, please email us at info at Be sure to look for our next podcast coming soon. Have a great day.